What is the best way to protect teenagers from the risks of using drugs and excess alcohol? Education consultant and parenting coach Joseph Dreesen says researchers identified protective factors and risk factors. And he's here to talk us through them. Kia ora, Joseph. Kia ora. Very nice to be here. Lovely to have you with us. It is a time yes, of Catherine. experimentation, isn't it, this age? And uh, alcohol and, and possibly other drugs may be in the mix here. Yeah? Yeah, that that's true. That um, teenagers have always been associated with risk taking and experimenting, how to become kind of you know a functional adults, and and so in our New Zealand scene, it's normal for children to go to a party and to take some alcohol, and and uh, and and they think it's also good maybe to get drunk and what they call being wasted, or they might see their friends do that. They might also, um, somebody might have some, you know, uh, marijuana and they experiment with that. And that's actually quite normal. It's not all teenagers do this, but quite normal for teenagers to experiment what's going on in the party scene of their peers. And some of those can actually go down the path gradually of actually becoming, uh, say, uh, drinking more often than is good for them. Uh, They drink more far greater quantities than is good for them. And gradually they become sort of habituated to kind of you know, excess drinking. And and definitely the parents can have influence over that. And I'm going to talk about that. And then there's a small number of children who or teenagers who actually go down that path a bit further and actually become gradually uh, habituated to drug use, which they don't want to be. And uh, they need to be walked back from that. But what is really great about the research is that actually great parenting uh, protects children a lot from those dangers. And But I think great, many parents need to weave into it protective factors which are associated with warning their children uh, about the dangers of some of the things they are seeing, observing, and might want to copy. So maybe I just thought I'll go through the protective Please practice what parents do. Um, and basically, that's a repeat what I've talked about a lot, but most parents would say yes to it. Most parents are deeply caring and have good expectations for their children. Um, parents who are conscientious and, and they care for their children, well, I'm sure most families would say yes to that. Parents who are moderate in dealing with their children and, and don't kind of go into lots of huge arguments, that's a protective factor. And then parents who then have specific things about alcohol and, and smoking themselves. So parents, I would propose to parents that one of the protective factors of excess alcohol usage is your own modeling. And and it's interesting for us as New Zealanders to actually, when we go overseas, to have a good look how some European countries have quite a different attitude to adults and parents and alcohol. Um, in many, like I'm originally from the Netherlands, so I go there, I go back there a lot. And my son and I went for what we call a pub crawl. That is, we went through all the little cafes and uh, and the little dining places in the in the neighbourhood he was living in Amsterdam. And at the end of the evening, we had a lovely time. But in the evening, he said, "Dad, I didn't see any drunk people whatsoever. What we saw was families, people, mixing the three ingredients of of a kind of a happy." Uh, alcohol usage, food, 
good company and moderate alcohol intake. And that's quite usual if you go to Europe to have a glass of wine with lunch. It's just nothing. It's just what you do. And for us to, for our children to be inducted in that kind of culture is actually up to the parents to say, well, you know, there's nothing wrong. Like, there's nothing wrong with, with a teenager having a glass of wine during dinner with friends. That's actually quite good for them to see this is how you use alcohol. So the first thing is modeling to your children how to use alcohol well. And then the second thing is to also sit down with them actually when they're pre-teens. You want to sit down with your children before they go into the party scene and, and have a series of calm and pleasant conversations about what is good about alcohol and maybe trying marijuana to see what it's like, but what is dangerous about it. And all of it is the same. It is excess usage. And so those conversations are actually much more important than you realize because you might think well you know when teenagers are teenagers i've lost complete control but actually it's not not true Uh, families have an enormous impact on their on their children and so i propose that as you just got to be the great parent you can be and you want to avoid the mistakes which we have talked about but it's also very interesting to research what what kind of child actually doesn't do this it's really great, you know. And again, most parents will say, "Work and protects there." Like their families consistently caring and safe. Uh, they feel their parents is fundamentally positive. Um, they might go to a church or have a strong belief system, a secular belief system of what, of, you know, of uh, we want to care for the earth, etc. That is their family have a belief system, which they say this is how we do it. They love their school. They feel connected with their friends in their school, and they feel school is a pathway to a great future. So they enjoy they enjoy that. Um, they are busy with extracurricular activities. Well, you think everything I've just mentioned is amenable to the family up the ante a bit and do that really well. And then, interesting children who have developed good self control and and postpone instant gratification. Research shows that you can teach that. Yeah, and some you can teach that you can you can teach sort of you know well, let's finish this job and let's just wait for we do that etc. Everything is actually under parental influence, and then of course children who come from those happy families which are structured and caring and I've talked about it a lot and I'm sure lots of parents are like that. They end up with an optimistic and cooperative outlook and they've learned to manage their emotions etc. etc. and they they are moderate, so their screen time is moderate, their reactions are moderate, and they themselves have absorbed the message from their parents that drugs and alcohol is part of life uh, for some people, marijuana, or uh, but hard drugs, absolutely no, we mustn't do that. And marijuana, well, please don't go into it because a little bit might be fun for a while, but on the long term, it's not good for you. And alcohol, getting drunk, you know, it's uh, what happens with alcohol. Parents should talk to the children about that. What happens when you're doing alcohol? Well, A, it wrecks your neurons. There is no level of alcohol usage which is not toxic to neural damage. But B, whenever you wash your brain up with alcohol, then it rewires itself. The brain rewires itself to get the same high by a larger amount. So when you start with one glass and then it becomes three glasses and then it becomes five glasses and before you know it, you have to drink a lot to get the same feelings. And so you want to 
you want to actually, as a parent, talk about that and coach them and, and talk to them before they start going into it. But even if they go into it, you want to keep on talking about that. So that is sort of the average New Zealand family has a lot of control over helping their children to manage that difficult journey of experimentation and keeping safe. What's interesting about what you said, Joseph, is none of it is a just say no T-shirt, right? What you and, and it's not even necessarily always directly about talking about the use of drugs and alcohol. It's all these foundational things that give absolutely them, that give them the protective kind of scaffolding, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. It is. It is just being great parents and, and building a family which is done very thoughtfully and well. And, uh, yeah, it's how the child operates. And uh, just say no, um, that is going to be harder for the child who has got, you know, and there are risk factors, for example. Um, their peer groups, their peer groups can be quite dangerous. And, and in some ways, um, I believe that New Zealand, as we as New Zealand parents, should have a greater assertiveness to talk amongst ourselves, and to say to us to to to, to our friends and, and relatives, and to say what kind of parties will we allow, and and in a sense, will we allow kids becoming totally drunk, or will we say no, you can be drinking, but you've got to be moderate, and also we need to look at sports bodies who associate, you know, drinking with alcohol and being a real macho, really great guy, that is really dysfunctional, and the whole concept of getting totally drunk is a very dysfunctional process, so so we need to up the ante as New Zealand parents to talk about our alcohol culture. And um, and, we, and of course, we need to be um, – it's very hard for children to not do drugs if there are adults in their families who actually think it is fine. And so as a family, you want to think, you know, do I want to really uh, – do we want to have uncle so-and-so coming to our family parties and openly smoke his marijuana, which actually is not a good thing at all. And you want to talk to your uncle and say, or to your, to your brother, yeah, I know you do that, but would you mind not exposing my children to it? So uh, it takes a little bit of management, but I believe uh, in my experience and the research shows that families who do that, who are actually quite active in trying to protect their children – um, they uh, they do they have a lot of effect, and of course some parents might say, well maybe it's too late, <laughs> you know I've got a teenager who's just you know into it quite a lot, and and how do we do that? And well, I propose that actually you've got to go right back. Uh, that sounds really weird, but it's exactly what you said, Catherine. Right back to the beginning. If you've got a child who you feel it's just too much, it's just too risky, and it's just I don't I feel I'm losing a little bit of you know the ability to stop him or her. I would invest in them uh, as a parent. I would say I'm going to make it a project for the next year. Well, okay, he might only be 14 or 15, and he's going to leave home soon or she, but I'm going to invest some more time. I might I might drop. I might drop this or I might drop that to invest some more time in one-to-one -one time with their child and to build that foundation of my dad, my mum loves me. And uh, and most teenagers don't want to go on family holidays anymore, that's for sure. Uh, some do, but some don't. But most most people, most parent children will not refuse to be taken out for dinner.
They will not refuse to go out fishing or they will not refuse to go to a real comedy show or they will not refuse sitting next to their parents if they're watching an inane program with them, you know, or if they play games with them. And I would invest in that sense that I'm here for you, I'm a great parent for you, and and, and I'm just, I love you. Because it's often that deep reinforcement of the love of your parent which actually strengthens you against the peer group pressure uh, to go into a path where actually you don't want to go there. That's that's my proposal. The other thing, Joseph, um, is this, this experimentation, but there's, there's times, as there are for adults, where this is also masking real pain or, or trauma or something else that is going on, and that time you're investing with your child... Uh, again, it's not about having that conversation, but it's the opportunity for one to occur or the opportunity for something to come out. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, that's so true what you say, Catherine, the children, if you do the research, and the children who are really at risk of excess drug usage often are in quite severe pain. Sometimes has nothing to do with the family. It might have, they might be genetically just uh, more prone for depression, or they might have um, uh, developed a, a, an illness like arthritis or something, or or an, a rugby injury or something like that, which they're in great pain, and and they find that oh, experimenting with drugs is actually great because I feel normal. I just feel normal. I know, I know, and so. What I'm saying is when you just invest in loving your child, you are in fact ameliorating that pain a little bit and you make them feel, well, you know, with love, everything is possible, you know, and but by myself, on my own, I'm into this pathway which I don't want to go. And then some families just need to realize that mental illness does exist. Um, depression does exist. Anxiety disorders do exist. Uh, a, a bipolar thing does exist and if they feel this child is just not functioning well it is just more it's much more serious than we can deal with and and you're going to be careful as a parent that you don't go down the boiling frog scenario that they should just get used to increasingly difficult and painful reactions and 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 behaviors and think oh this is just normal when it is not you just need to activate um great a great, uh, a great support system. You need to go to your GP. You've got to go to your pediatrician. You've got to refer yourself to the mental health system. And they do respond. They, you know, the squeaky wheel gets heard. And they need sometimes, sometimes the best thing a child can get is medication to get over their depression or a, a pain management system. So for those children who really go into drugs and, and alcohol in a very, very heavy way, which is not a huge number, nearly always there is, there's a huge amount of pain. And again, a parent investing into care, relationships, and seeing can we help you with this, that is the golden factor. One uh, interesting observation here from a listener, vaping is a real concern. Naive one, young ones think there's no nicotine, but yes, there is. Suggestions, please. I have forwarded her info, I'm forwarded to her info on vaping, but she's in denial and replies, what do I know? Uh, which is a very typical response. Uh, it has yeah, been argued that serious. we have done, uh, this generation, uh, a great injustice in the, the lack of regulation that surrounded the introduction of vaping in this country compared to other countries. Uh, but 
it's a, use at least is is widespread, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I work in the school system, and and the school system is quite alarmed about the number of children who are actually addicted to vaping, who skip classes to go to the toilet and vape. And I agree with the, the writer. Um, we've done an enormous disservice. The the tobacco or the nicotine industry has just re, re reinvented itself, and and as um, marketing uh, vaping uh, chemicals. Um, a package in beautiful colored and sweet and lovely tasting stuff with an enormous high dosage of nicotine and they are just causing a, a, a tremendous amount of harm and so i think what what we should do as a country is to say uh, vaping like some countries do that the vaping is only allowed by prescription to get rid of smoking and that it's not available but now you have your child doing that and and the child is in denial because yeah they are in denial one way to do it is to see if you can find somebody in your family or in your peer group of the child who would agree objectively that the child is actually at risk you'd be surprised and and ask that person have they is there a possibility that they talk to their child because they won't listen to, you know, mum and dad, because they've had it, you know, they've passed it. Um, but they listen to somebody who can influence them. And you'd be surprised. Um, in my experience, often I had children, say, in my school experience, that often the friends were actually great, um, great objective observers, and they would agree with the teachers that this is not a good path you're not on a good path and the child would listen to their peers so so maybe that is one possibility and also it's a it's a possibility that talking with the school and and getting the school counselor involved and having a a little a little informal family group talking with the child you might say oh, we don't believe in it nothing's going to change but actually reaching out to a child and grabbing them by the collar just before the descending the dangerous mountain and saying, this is dangerous, don't do it, actually is what makes the difference. Joseph, thank you very much. Joseph Dreesen.